Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air, and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network. Work. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark, and there's Charles W. Chuck Bryant. And it's just the two of us, kind of like old times, huh, Chuck? Uh, sure. <laughs> and this is Stuff You Should. It's not the full thing without Jerry. That's right. Uh, but you said you're Josh Clark. Don't you mean Josh Clark? Yeah, that is what my, my name is from. It's one of the most boring names you could have, but it is my last name. And that's what we're talking about. I don't even know my, uh, I mean, I know the like country of origin and stuff for Bryant, but mm-hmm. I don't really know. Like, this is one of those episodes where I was constantly going, oh, well, that's yeah. where that came from. Oh, that's interesting. But I didn't have anything for me. I have something for you, friend. You got the origin of Bryant? No, origin of Wayne. Oh, okay. Let's hear it. It denotes a driver or builder of wagons. (laughs) That's you, buddy, in a nutshell. Well, that was my surname. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, it still works for your middle name. It's not like it just loses all meaning when it gets moved to the middle. (laughs) Right. Builder of wagons. That's me. Or driver. You could have been a driver, too. Chuck wagon. Or or a double trouble, a builder driver of wagons. Right. Yeah. So uh, that's that's it. But we're not talking about middle names. We're not even really talking about first names. We're talking about surnames, which if you've ever been confused about which one that is, it's the last name. It's the family name. Generally. It's, yes. And depending on where you live in the world, it might come before your first name. It might come after it. There might be... an couple of surnames involved. There may be a hyphen joining them. Um, there's a lot of different things you can do with surnames. And like you, I was like, oh, okay. There's a, actually a lot of interesting stuff to this. So good pick. And thanks to the Grabster for helping us out. Yeah. And, you know, Ed will feature later on because well, I don't <laughs> want to spoil it yet, but his okay. last name is interesting. Yeah. Uh, because it's Polish and Polish names are generally interesting in how they're and how they look on paper on the page. Sure. And are often changed. So we're just, we're going to float that out there as a teaser. But we're going to be talking about Ed's last name. And speaking of it being on paper, I thought it was a Polish name all this time. (laughs) I'm glad you said something first. Uh, The deal with surnames, though, is they have been around a lot less long (laughs) <laughs> That's one way to say it. <laughs> then uh, a given name or a first name, like first names, they came first. Like from 
the beginnings of people, like with tuk-tuk, people wanted to call each other things. Mm-hmm. And so people would just give each other names. But surnames were invented much, much, much later yeah. uh, for reasons we're going to talk about, kind of around-ish the 11th century. Yeah, that's for like England, uh, Western Europe. Um, there were places where they came along much earlier. Like I think in China, they've been in use for uh, 3,000 years as far as we can tell. Yeah. And then in Rome, there were different naming conventions that had two names, sometimes three names, you know, a couple thousand years ago. So, yeah, surnames are, in, in England at least, or the, the or Western Europe, uh, they are definitely latecomers, relatively speaking. Yeah, and, you know, one of the reasons uh, you might think, like, why would you need a surname? And there are a bunch of reasons, um, one of which, like, one of the earliest reasons was that, pe- you know, there were more people being born. Mm -hmm. And so your little quaint town that had, you know, John and, uh, and Jane, everyone knew who John and Jane were, but then as more and more people are born, that town gets bigger and bigger. There's more Johns and Janes. It was literally just like a way to differentiate people. Yeah, exactly. And then also as people started to travel more, um, there, there, that also kind of called for people to differentiate themselves a little bit too. So um, population pressure is a really good reason, a really good explainer for why there were such things as surnames, why they came along. There's just more people, so you needed to be able to say, no, not Jane, that Jane, the other Jane. People got really sick of, of doing that, especially if a third Jane came along, they'd just pull their hair out and be mad all the time. Right. And then by the time uh, people owned property or had like legal things to transfer to one another, titles and things like that. Right. Then you had to have surnames. So uh, nobles, of course, you know, there's, you know, a lot of class that plays into this because a certain class of people were landowners and had official titles. Mm -hmm. So these nobles adopted these surnames or maybe the monarch said you have to have a surname because we need to know your, you know, the rights of succession of your land or, you know, it's just got to all legally check out. So we just... Being John isn't enough anymore. Yeah, it was. Um, it's strange to think of, but naming somebody and like saying either choose a name or I'm going to choose one for you, it was a way for the ruling class of a civilization to like basically track people, keep them in line, sure. keep, keep you know one group from you know marrying another group and consolidating <clears throat> power. Um, and it's interesting because. They think that, you know, in China, one of the reasons why uh, they, the surnames came along 3,000 years ago was because of population pressure, but also because the Zhu dynasty, and I'm probably not saying that correctly, I think it's Z-H-O-U, is that right? Zhao? I'm going to go with Zhao. I'm just going to, I'm feeling a little spicy today. I thought it was Z-H-A-O, or am I thinking of something different? Okay, so even more I'm going with Zhao. <laughs> okay. But anyway, the Zhao dynasty was saying, um, like, you know, we want to keep track of you nobles. And a good way to do that is to, like, label something. That's how you keep track of something. And that's, that's one of the other reasons why these um, the surnames came along in China. And the same thing played out, um, you know, a couple thousand years later in England for basically the same reasons. That's right. And by the way, I was wrong. It is Z-H-O-W. Uh, or I'm sorry, O-U. Okay, I'm going to go with Zhao then. <laughs> okay. Uh, are you talking about William the First? Yeah, the Conqueror. In his Doomsday Book, which, boy, if there was ever a book that was uh, mistitled. I know. 
It's not Doomsday. It's Domesday. Uh-huh. Uh, D-O-M-E-S-D-A-Y. But it, when you look at it, it very you just want to say Doomsday Book. Yeah. Uh, but what it was, it was just a, a survey of land and landowners in 1085 and 1086. And it, William I commissioned this thing and basically said, all right, we got a book now, so all these informal names aren't going to do it. So we have to have an official historical record of this stuff. So pick a surname. Yeah, it was almost like taking a snapshot of, like, the conventions and the customs of naming people at the time. Because William the Conqueror didn't say, you know, you have to have a surname now. It was more like whatever you go by, you're going to go down in this book as that. Right. And that basically solidified and created that tradition of passing down surnames from that point on. It it. Kind of like kept it going. What is so funny? I'm just trying to think of like, do you want to be John the A-hole the rest of your life? Right, exactly. That's what you're known as around town. You, so you have a up. chance here to rewrite things. Yeah, and if you go back and look, there's a um, a website that uh, that um, Ed found. I'll try to find it later. But it's basically just a, a tittering tour through uh, medieval England and some of the horrific last names people got saddled with for nicknames and that became like their last name like, like stuff we just can't even possibly say on this podcast yeah and uh ed points out too and um just since we're talking about that that sarcasm is not a, a recent invention so mm-hmm. you might be uh called something like you may be john goodman well not john goodman <laughs> <laughs> you could be john goodman i'm just going with john for everything uh, when you were like a very like not nice dude, somebody might have said Goodman as a good man. Yeah. Uh, as a sort of a, a nod and a wink or a joke or a play on words. Like imagine if John Goodman were basically like <laughs> Russell Crowe. Right. <laughs> it gets the point across. Are we still on Russell Crowe? I'm I'm trying to throw back here, man. I'm trying to bring right. everybody back to <laughs> our period of comfort rather than moving along with everyone else. Uh, but it's interesting you mention medieval uh, – the medieval period because the Roman system that you talked about, which eventually evolved to a three-name system, I think at first uh, – or I guess before Rome in different civilizations, they had single names. Mm-hmm. But then the Romans came along and they had what was called a uh, prey – I guess praenomen. Yes. Which would be the equivalent of a given name. Then the nomen, which what we would think of as a last name. And then later on, if you were like an elite, you would have a third name, the cognomen, mm-hmm. uh, if you wanted to like show off a little bit and show your status. But it went away after the Romans for a long time and then uh, came back with the Europeans. Yeah, it's really interesting that like the Europeans had all this influence. <clears throat> the Chinese had already invented this for a couple thousand years. And it just kind of like evolved in isolation later on. Mm-hmm. So it really kind of does just go to go to show you like surnames are just once you reach a certain point of you know uh, a civilization or the, a population growth, it's just something that's just going to come up inevitably organically. It's pretty neat. It is pretty neat. Um, and we I know we mentioned um, some Asian names. I think Korean and Japanese and Chinese are traditionally written with the surname first, mm-hmm. and then your given name. And then just a few years ago, Japan. I think formally enshrined that and said, you know, we're not going to westernize this anymore. We're going to go with the surname first. Yeah, they're going back to their roots. I love it. A new kind of suit. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you you got that one, really? Yeah, sure. Man, Chuck, I'm impressed. 
Uh, should we? T- well, since you're impressed, let's take a break. Yeah. Because I don't. I want to. I want to just like bathe in that for a minute. I think it's a wise move, or rather, two minutes, and uh, we'll be back and talk about uh, the different types of surnames and why they came about right after this. Hey there, everybody. Here's some bonus stuff you should know. This time it's about traveling to Orlando for business. Orlando has tons of places to host your conferences and meetings. Dr. Michael Edwards, CEO of Ocean Insight, said it best. Orlando is as much a business capital as an entertainment one. And when the day is done, you can kick off each evening at one of 46 Michelin-rated restaurants. What's not to love? So check out Orlando, where the possibilities for business travel are unbelievably real. Learn more at orlandoforbusiness.com. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air, and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action, and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network. Today's episode is brought to you by Altoids because, let's face it, unraveling the mysteries of the universe is tough work. But with Altoids, your breath will be stronger than a black hole's gravitational pull, more intense than an alien abduction, and more reliable than your phone's battery during a podcast marathon. When it comes to needing intense freshness, Altoids have you covered. Altoids are stronger than your favorite conspiracy theory, more intense than the latest true crime docuseries, and more reliable than a Bigfoot sighting. They're not just mints, they're curiously strong mints. Find Altoids in the checkout aisle. Grab your tin today. All right, game off. Let's pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. Because in Monopoly Go, you can team up with your friends for timed tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. It's very nice. That's right. And the more you win together, the more awesome prizes you unlock. And there's so much to get. I'm talking about unique stickers that you can trade with friends to complete albums for big prizes, cool new playing pieces to travel the boards with, or hilarious emojis for taunting friends when you smash their buildings or heist their vaults. Plus, Monopoly Go feels new and exciting every day with constantly changing tournaments and challenges, like digging for treasure or a robot pachinko machine. And there's always new timed events that help you win big, like massive multipliers for everything you win or rent frenzies. That's right. There's always something fun to discover in Monopoly Go. So get off the bench and go download it now for free on Google Play or the App Store. Game on. All right. So um, what's interesting is that Surnames, you know, take all sorts of different shapes and forms, and there's actually some cultures that just don't have them or don't use them. I believe um, the Philippines didn't use surnames until they were colonized by um, Europeans. Yeah, that um, sounds about right. So, I mean, there's some some cultures that don't use surnames at all, but among the cultures that do use surnames in different ways, shape, ways shapes, and forms— there's actually some commonalities, almost universalities, among surnames and where they came from and what they mean. Um, and there's at least four or five that you can kind of hack out that say, wherever you go in the world, if they're using surnames, they may have some sort of, like, version of this. Yeah, and this is the stuff that's really cool, I think. Um, 
And this found me saying, you know, because Ed gives a, b- a bunch of great examples of a surname. And then when you find out how it evolved to be that, you just go, oh, well, that completely makes sense now. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I was about to say something about jobs, but we'll get to jobs in a minute. Um, first, though, is place names, specific place names. If you were, and I think a lot of people know this one, but if you were from a place, mm-hmm. you might have been Chuck of Atlanta. Or, you know, if it was in Europe, it might you might have substituted D-E for the Latin, like Chuck de Atlanta. Right. And then over time, that D, um, there's this, this process that happens to words where if you use a word for a thousand years, it gets kind of molded and shaped and um, and cut down to a more manageable size. It's Until called, you're saying LOL and OMG. <laughs> right, exactly. Or LMFAO, because right. Party Rock is in the house tonight. Um, yeah. But it's called truncation. And uh, the same thing happens with names, too. <clears throat> so instead of Chuck de Atlanta, it could just become Chuck de Atlanta, D apostrophe Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Which is very kind of nice. Like, I like the way that rings. Atlanta. Yeah. Um, yeah, you have to say it like that. Or you could just get rid of that apostrophe and make it one word, Chuck de Atlanta. Right? And that actually happened, like, the, with the name Darcy. Um, it used to be um, somebody, uh, De, De Arcy. Arcy is a village, I believe, in France or Normandy, maybe. Um, and then over time, it became D apostrophe Arcy, as in Jefferson Darcy from Married with Children, <laughs> or just Darcy, D-A-R-C-Y, as in Mr. Darcy from Pride and Prejudice, who I presume Jefferson Darcy's character is based on. <laughs> But if you have the name Darcy, um, you can almost – I mean, there are other ways that you can acquire a last, uh, surname, which we'll, we'll see kind of along the way. But um, chances are you can probably trace that back to the fact that someone in your lineage was from Arcy. Yes. Um, and it also suggests that some, somewhere back in your lineage, somebody was probably <clears throat> of uh, noble lineage because it was the nobles who would have – taken the place that they were from as their surname because, number one, they would go off to court, so they would be, I'm Jefferson Darcy. So, you know, not Jefferson D'Atlanta, Jefferson Darcy. I'm I'm the one from Darcy or from Arcy, right? Mm -hmm. Um, A a commoner from Arcy would have no reason to to say that they're from Arcy because they don't ever leave Arcy. They spent their entire life there. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And then also, um, it, ref- it it let people know that you were um, you basically like ruled that land that you were from. It, it, that was that was that, and it's called a toponymic name, um, where you're. It's a place name that you've taken as your last name. That's right. Uh, if you were a commoner, like you said, you would not be uh, Chuck of Atlanta because I was. I grew up a commoner. Because I could make no claim that I ruled Atlanta back in the uh, medieval times or post-medieval times. Mm-hmm. Um, and everyone else would have that name, too, in, in my little neighborhood that mm-hmm. uh, didn't have a lot of money, let's say. But you might have a really uh, local name that is um, more like topographic. Like if your last name is Hill or Underhill or Green, then chances are you're uh, – you know, distant relatives lived on a hill sure. or on a green or under a hill. I don't know if that, they were cave dwellers, but those <laughs> are literally named. There's a name Bywater. I've never really heard that, but, you know, it literally means you live by the water. Yeah, there's some really nice names that have to do with water. Um, 
as uh, that serve as last names like Bayshore or Bay Meadow. Um, I think those are very pleasant, but that I never really realized that means that their family lived by a bay by a meadow, I guess. I've never heard those shore, last names. Those are very nice last names. And then, um, Chuck, I also realized just now when you were talking that you could have rightly called yourself Chuck de Unpaved Road. <laughs> right? Sure. That would have that would have definitely placed you there. Yeah, yeah. I grew up on a gravel or Chuck de Gravel. Yeah. De de Via Graville. <laughs> uh another locator or I guess topographic, um it, it's sort of along those same lines. If you ever hear anyone with the last name of like Scott or Western. Western mm-hmm. is a great example. It's a great last name. Uh, or the last name Ireland. Uh, that you know, those are just very quite literal last names taken because chances are they moved to a different place, and maybe that was a differentiator. Like they're, you know, that maybe they even called the person from Ireland that moved to a place not in Ireland, Ireland. Right. Exactly. They were probably emigrants. You know, they were the Scott who just showed up that everybody liked. You know, the Scott. Oh, okay. Yeah, John Scott. Sure. Yeah. The Scott. The guy who talks cool. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, it's also like in uh, that movie Zombie Land, where everybody's called where they're from. <clears throat> I don't remember that. Yeah, I think um, what's his name? Jesse Eisenberg. Isn't that who's in it? Yeah. He uh, he's like Columbus, and I can't remember what Woody Harrelson oh. where he's from. Tex maybe or something like that. I don't know. Gotcha. Yeah, I just wanted to give a, a Zombie Land shout out. You know, it's a good movie. It really was, surprisingly so. Um, or if you're, uh, I just finished Severance, you just have a last initial, like Mark S. Yeah. Or What'd Heli R. Well, I just watched it twice because Emily didn't watch it the first go round. And I was mm-hmm. like, I think you would like this actually. Mm-hmm. So um, I watched it all the way through again. So mm-hmm. I obviously loved it. But that, uh, boy, that season finale was just a. 45-minute panic attack. It really was. <laughs> and one of the most unfair cliffhangers I'm in the history you. of TV. It really was. But uh, really, really good stuff. Love it. So um, moving on, Chuck, um, one of the other things we could have adopted as our surnames, if that were a thing, like people were still taking new surnames, we could be Josh <laughs> Podcaster and Chuck Podcaster. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I love this one because this is a, – a, Probably the most common way that someone would get a surname. I think more than 10% of English surnames are because of an op- occupation in your lineage. So, yes. you know, Karen Carpenter, she had someone way back in her family that was a carpenter probably. Yep. Or uh, Earl Weaver had a weaver in his family and uh, any Smith. Uh, I mean, well, that's not true because there is a thing too where – uh, a lot of time immigrants would adopt the name, like one of the most common names when they would immigrate to a country yeah. to fit in. So yep. there might be Smiths acquired that way. But uh, if you were a Smith, then you had the last name Smith. Right. Um, or uh, Clark is a derivative of clerk, which was yeah. at the time not just some some pencil pusher. It was a, a scholarly person who could read and write at a time when <laughs> most people couldn't read and oh, write. Oh, Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> My ancestors was real smart. Um, Thatcher is another example of an occupationally based or shepherd. Uh, these are all very obvious, but uh, one kind of cool little oh moments mm-hmm. is in medieval England, uh, they would use S-T-E-R or X-T-E-R 
uh, as a suffix if it was a woman's occupation. Right. So a baker would become Baxter. Or a brewer would become Brewster. That's right. Um, so, uh, and that's, that holds not just for England, but like if you went to Germany and your last name Schmidt, it's, it's the same thing as if you were in England and your last name Smith because there was somebody in your lineage that was a blacksmith, which is pretty cool. Um, and there, it was almost <coughs> like, like I was saying, when that Doomsday book was, was um, when it came out. It was like a Sure. It was like <laughs> a snapshot of professions at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and apparently within about... Th- 300 to 400 years, the use of surnames had solidified enough that it became weird for uh, the tradition of it being weird for us to say, I'm changing my last name to podcaster because that's my job. (laughs) That had really kind of solidified. People weren't taking on new surnames. They were getting them passed along. And so um, professions that came after the 14th and 15th centuries don't usually pop up very often as people's last name. No, but it's funny now that I'm thinking my Instagram handle is Chuck the Podcaster. Chuck I the sh- Podcaster. <laughs> I should change it to D apostrophe Chuck totally the Podcaster. Should. That'd mm-hmm. be pretty fun. I think that's a great idea, Charles. Uh, another fun thing that Ed found was sometimes actors uh, back in the day would um, sort of, with a nod and a wink, take a surname of a character that they played a lot. And anyone that knows the origins of uh, the theater knows that actors were, you know, they're not like they are today. They were generally sort of of the lower class. Mm. And so if you that that would like sort of explain away why you might find someone of the uh, of a lower class, maybe with the last name King or Lord, because they might have been an actor who played a king or a lord a lot. Yes. Uh, And then nicknames play a really big role across cultures. Uh, and again, this is kind of what they think the tradition of uh, first names came out of. Like your your first name was not necessarily John or Jim or Josh or Chuck or anything like that. Uh, way back in the day, it was probably just the initial differentiator for you. You know, like instead of that guy, no, no, not that guy, that guy, <laughs> they would say, you know, Red or yeah. apparently Sherlock means fair-headed. Um they would also, they would apparently, if you did things with, say, like your penis, you might end up with a, a, a nickname name, like Shakespeare, they think is actually that, or Wagstaff. Yeah. Uh, they think are actually from from that kind of lewd uh, uh, toilet humor, lowbrow humor that people used to love in the medieval era. Oh, yeah. I mean, there was, you know, I mean, Shakespeare itself was sort of body, but... Uh, I took an English uh, class where we did uh, – I took a couple of like um, – not playwriting. Well, I did take playwriting, but play reading classes. What would you call that? Uh, yeah, play reading. Drama. <laughs> they had a better name than that. Sure. Uh, and a lot of the plays that we read from the time period that weren't Shakespeare were just – Toilet humor, blue humor, dirty body humor. It was pretty fun. And it's not like that's just gone anywhere. I mean, I made a Married with Children reference not 20 minutes ago. So it's still around, although Married with Children's not around anymore. But you know what I'm saying. But I would posit that, like, sophisticated, intelligent humor is a pretty recent invention. You know, I'm sure there are pockets of it here or there. 
uh, over time, like Benjamin Franklin had a pretty sharp wit, and he was he was of an intelligent humor. No, you're right. I mean, the first joke was pull my finger, let's be honest. Right, and that lasted a long time, and people <laughs> used that until that well went dry. But I think it's a fairly recent thing, and, and I think, um, you know, I think that's kids' introduction to humor is like lowbrow toilet humor, but I think it's a pretty big marker based on how fast you, you evolve into intelligent humor. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Like my daughter's, her, the funniest words for her are, or when she's trying to make a joke, like kids don't make really good jokes. No, they don't. Uh, they're all, cause they're not sophisticated yet, but they sure do like to talk about your, you know, having poop in your hair and stuff like that. <laughs> you know, it is a pretty good one. Actually. And me laughing certainly doesn't help. No, definitely not. Does Emily get mad or does she laugh too? No, she just walks through the room and goes, she she got that from you, so she is of your own making. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. You, <laughs> I, I love you it. said, I actually do have poop in my hair. It's not a joke. And they say, pull my finger, Emily. <laughs> <laughs> I probably should take back, like, my little soapbox thing condemning toilet and lowbrow humor because it is still kind of funny now that you mention it. Yeah. Mm. I love it. I mean, I, I like both. I like a, a sharp wit and I like a, a fart joke all all at the same time. That, Chuck, makes you a renaissance man. <laughs> All right, good. Uh, if you, well, I was trying to tie that into what I was about to say next, but I really couldn't think of a good last name for that. But um, if you, another very common surname convention is if you were the son or daughter of somebody, and if John was your dad, you would be Johnson or Smithson. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes it was even more basic than that. Like if your name was... Uh, Ed gives the example of someone named Martin, and they had a son named George. They might just take the dad's name and be George Martin. Right. Uh, And that's typically, especially in Western Europe uh, and the U.K., um, it took the father's lineage. So it's patronymic is that kind of naming convention. And there is such a thing as matronymic naming conventions. It's just much rarer in uh, in our cultures. but it does happen. Like Marriott means a child of Mary. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. So it, it happens from time to time. It's just much less common. Um, but that is a, like you said, it's a very common thing to name, to take a relative's name. And it happens in a, a bunch of different ways. Um, and a good example of how, how, you know, different it can be is in Icelandic culture. Yeah, that's where, pretty cool. Um, if you're a son, say you're the son of Eric. Um, you With a K. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, your your last name would be Eric's son if you were a son. If you were a daughter, you would be Eric's daughter. So Eric has a son and a daughter, and they're both his son and daughter, but they have two different last names. And the reason why Iceland is not catching fire and people are running all over the place in confusion is because they don't really care as much about last names. Yeah, this is kind of cool because Ed uh, brought up Bjork, and uh, she doesn't just go by Bjork to be like Madonna. Uh, Bjork goes by Bjork because in Icelandic culture, the surname just isn't that big of a deal. Uh, And so I looked up her surname, and Bjork's surname is actually – and I'm going to mispronounce this because I have no idea about Icelandic uh, stuff. But it's (laughs) – it's Guman's daughter – which is, uh, of course, D-O-T-T-I-R, mm-hmm. uh, because her father was uh, Gumander Gunnarsson. 
That's a great name, which means that his father was named Gunnar. Right. So it's sort of a, this weird flip as you go back. It's like a, almost like a little puzzle, a little Icelandic puzzle. It is. It's pretty cool. And then also in a stroke of awesomeness, um, Iceland has also come up with a third uh, <clears throat> a third name for non-binary uh, gendered people um, who don't go by son or daughter. They go by Burr. So it would be Eric Burr. That's right. And that, you know, that's the thing now, with especially with hyphenations. Uh, we'll get to why you might change your name, but, um, you know, one of the sort of, uh, I feel like it's kind of antiquated, but one of the things that we do here in the West sometimes is a woman might take a, her husband's last name or they might hyphenate it. Uh, but with, uh, you know, non-binary parents or gay parents, sometimes they will hyphenate their last name, mm-hmm. which, you know, apparently can present a little bit of a conflict sometimes in that their uh, struggle to, I guess, uh, have a, a non-traditional family, but also sort of try and fit in with a more traditional naming convention. Yeah, which I had never considered. And that's sad that that is even a, a yeah. question, but it makes sense in a, a sad kind of way. Go Iceland though, huh? Yeah. And then also, um, we really shouldn't leave out Arab cultures who use Ibn for son of, or if the name Ibn comes in the middle of the name, it'd be Bin, mm-hmm. or Bint is daughter of. And it usually can go back a couple of generations, sometimes three, which explains why there's a lot of Ibns or Bins um, followed by other names in somebody's full name uh, from Arab cultures. That's right. Or Ed gives a great example of Saddam Hussein was uh, Saddam Hussein Abdul Majid Al Tikriti, and Saddam would be the given name there. Hussein would be the father's name. Uh, Abdul Majid is grandfather's name. Then Al Tikriti is where he grew up. So that's sort of a a mesh of uh, topograph or not topographic. I guess uh, what do we call the geographic? Or toponymic. Geographic? Yeah, toponymic, and then uh, the patriarchal. And everything's just sort of mashed together, and with his grandfather. Right. Well, you want to take another break and then come back and talk more about, I don't know, surnames? Sure. Okay, we're going to do that, everybody. Sit tight. Hey there, everybody. Here's some bonus stuff you should know. This time, it's about traveling to Orlando for business. Orlando has tons of places to host your conferences and meetings. Dr. Michael Edwards, CEO of Ocean Insight, said it best. Orlando is as much a business capital as an entertainment one. And when the day is done, you can kick off each evening at one of 46 Michelin-rated restaurants. What's not to love? So check out Orlando, where the possibilities for business travel are unbelievably real. Learn more at orlandoforbusiness.com. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air, and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network. 
Today's episode is brought to you by Altoids because, let's face it, unraveling the mysteries of the universe is tough work. But with Altoids, your breath will be stronger than a black hole's gravitational pull, more intense than an alien abduction, and more reliable than your phone's battery during a podcast marathon. When it comes to needing intense freshness, Altoids have you covered. Altoids are stronger than your favorite conspiracy theory, more intense than the latest true crime docuseries, and more reliable than a Bigfoot sighting. They're not just mints, they're curiously strong mints. Find Altoids in the checkout aisle. Grab your tin today. All right, game off. Let's pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. Because in Monopoly Go, you can team up with your friends for time tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. It's very nice. That's right. And the more you win together, the more awesome prizes you unlock. And there's so much to get. I'm talking about unique stickers that you can trade with friends to complete albums for big prizes, cool new playing pieces to travel the boards with, or hilarious emojis for taunting friends when you smash their buildings or heist their vaults. Plus, Monopoly Go feels new and exciting every day with constantly changing tournaments and challenges, like digging for treasure or a robot pachinko machine. And there's always new timed events that help you win big, like massive multipliers for everything you win or rent frenzies. That's right. There's always something fun to discover in Monopoly Go. So get off the bench and go download it now for free on Google Play or the App Store. Game on. So one thing we didn't cover with um, the UK Mm-hmm. Uh, we got to cover the Max. Oh yeah, and the 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 APs. So if you were Irish or Scottish, uh, the prefix Mac would was would mean son of. So if your name was Dougal and you had a son named John, you would be John MacDougal. Very nice. Uh, or in the case of being uh, from Wales, they use AP to mean son of. So. And this is kind of interesting because it gets truncated along the way. Mm-hmm. So uh, AP Rice, uh, R-H-Y-S, would be son of rice. But then over time, that gets truncated and the AP just becomes a P. So the name Price originally can very well – it's hard to say like in all cases, obviously, but uh, could have very well been like the son of rice. Yeah, or Reese. So it could also be the last name Priest, which everybody's Priest. like, that don't sound right. Right. We're going with Price instead. <laughs> And then, Chuck, so uh, we talked a little bit about changing names, and there's all sorts of reasons people change names. There's also a lot of reasons people take on names. Again, sometimes it's decreed by law. Apparently, there was a law during the Austro-Hungarian Empire that you needed a last name. And so there was a kind of a custom or a trend, you could almost say, among uh, Jewish people who lived in that area or under Austro-Hungarian rule. Um, to kind of take names from nature, like Tenenbaum or Rosen, meaning yeah. fir tree or rose. Um, and that's where a lot of the, the more common Jewish names come from that have a kind of a Germanic tone to them. And then also there was a big, um, there was a big conundrum or a, uh, I guess a decision that faced um, it freed enslaved people after the Emancipation Proclamation and then later on Juneteenth. Um, because they didn't actually have surnames uh, at the time, especially if they'd, you know, been, you know, second, third, fourth, fifth generation American, um, they might not have a surname at all. That's right. And so in many cases, 
they were given or sometimes chosen uh, the the name of the person who enslaved them, which obviously as generations went on, that doesn't sit as well. Uh, and so a lot of times if you're African-American, you may change your name later on, um, like, you know, many generations later to sort of shed yourself of that uh, enslaved name. Mm-hmm. And then probably the most common reason, especially in the West, that people um, change their names is through marriage. Right. Which has evolved over time. You know, traditionally it was the wife took the husband's last name, shed her own, you know, maiden name, maybe moved it to her middle name. Uh, and then that was it. Um, and then over time there's there's been kind of like this uh, um, push against just being completely subsumed by their husband's identity. Um and that introduced the uh, the um, hyphenated last name into Western culture, which again is it like if you go to Spain, they've been doing that for a very long time. Yeah, so much so that like um, you know the children will actually have both of their parents' last names, fathers first, hyphen, mothers second, and that's that's been going on. It's called dos apellidos, um, but in here in like the West. I should say in the United States, because I guess Spain would technically be the West. Mm-hmm. Um, that's becoming more and more common, but it's still fairly new if you think about it. I mean, I don't remember people hyphenating their names very commonly before like the 80s or 90s, I would say. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it happened, but it seems like it definitely caught on, um, you know, obviously was sort of in lockstep with the uh, women's liberation movement. Yeah, they called it the flash dance effect. Uh, it's something, you know, there's, there's no wrong way to do it. People should do what they want to do. I never wanted or expected Emily to change her name because she's just, she's got a great last name and that's who she is. And I never, uh, I just thought, I don't know, it seemed outdated to me, but there, there is no right or wrong way. And eventually years later, um, uh, I think it was probably lined up when my daughter came along, she ended up going with a hyphenate. Uh, and then, you know, our very good friend uh, and friend of the show who played Jerry mm-hmm. on the Stuff You Should Know TV show, mm-hmm. uh, Lucy Wainwright Roach. Uh, that is a hyphenate because her father is Loudon Wainwright and her mother is Suzy Roach. And so she uh, went with a hyphenate. Yeah, apparently there's a famous um, bass player for Jethro Tull. Um, I had not heard of this dude. Had you? Did you know about I hadn't heard of him. <laughs> I had, had not. So his um, his first name's Jeffrey. We'll call him that for the moment. But both of his parents um, had the last name of Hammond. Yeah, they weren't related, um, despite him playing bass for Jethro Tull. And um, he wanted to honor both of them, so he took the last name Jeffrey Hammond Hammond with the hyphen in between them. Yeah, it's pretty funny. Yep. Good job, Jeffrey. I know that's pretty great. He's See? got a great story everywhere he goes. Intelligent humor. that's right yeah you think somebody who went to a Shakespeare play would get that no (laughs) be totally lost on them Uh, one of the myths we can kind of bust although I'm sure it happened some was this notion that if you came through Ellis Island you were just given whatever name the person at immigration on Ellis Island felt like filling out, or if they wanted to shorten it, they shortened it, mm-hmm. or if they wanted to get rid of some of the hyphens, they got rid of the hyphens. Uh, apparently, I'm sure that did happen some, but uh, ang- ang- oh, man, I can never say, say this, anglicizing? You nailed it. Yeah, anglicizing uh, did not happen to the extent that people think it did on Ellis Island, and many times mm-hmm. it was the people themselves that new country, new start, wanted to fit in that would 
um, drop the apostrophe from Darcy and stuff like that. Yeah, and I saw that, if anything, um, Ellis Island uh, immigration officers were more prone to actually correct mistakes and spelling errors that some shipping clerk over in Europe had made on the ship's manifest. Oh, okay. um, most of them spoke uh, m- multiple languages and were, you know, pretty familiar with what, you know, there's a finite number of last names. And so if you see one with the, you know, the, the name misspelled, they they probably corrected it. So it's kind of, yeah, it's like the opposite of the myth that you have. Yeah. Uh, another thing that people have done to make it maybe just a little bit easier on everybody else and themselves is to... Uh, if they have a name that's um, got a, a lot of consonants in it, let's say. <laughs> yeah, we're looking uh, at you Slavic <laughs> countries. Is to uh, phonetically spell it out. Uh, and Ed, like I teased at the beginning, Ed's last name is, uh, we always call him the Grabster, is uh, Grabinowski. And he uh, lives in the uh, a region where there are a lot of Polish people still living there. And he says that he has never seen another Grabinowski, but he does see uh, Grabowskis or Grabskis. Yep. No Grabsters. No, we're we're trying to make it happen, though, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, my friend Paul's last name is Waslow, but it is not spelled W-A-Z-L-O-W. Hmm. Uh, it, I can't even remember how it's, how it's spelled, but it's not intuitive. But he held on to it, and he didn't he didn't change it phonetically. Good for Paul. Sticking yeah. it to the man Paul's family is. That's right. You got anything else? I am looking here. Do we have anything else? Not really. Nothing of any great interest, if you ask me. <laughs> no, I think this is good stuff. I think it's it's cool. People should check it. Like, I'd love to hear some stories from listeners uh, or maybe do a little research into your own name and where it might have come from because there's a lot of interesting stories out there. I'd love to hear more. Yeah. Also, Chuck, by the way, your last name denotes somebody who used to live by a hill in the Celtic era. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Bryant? Yes. Derived okay. from Brion. Hill people. Pronounced Briony in northern France. So you're a Frenchie, Chuck. Interesting. Yeah, pretty cool. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> yeah. D'Atlanta. <laughs> Well, uh, since Chuck said ha ha ha, of course that means it's time for listener mail. All right, I'm going to call this uh, choir math, and I should say that uh, Lyle here had a, a lot of consternation after Lyle sent this email about uh, because Lyle's a math person mm-hmm. and I think a math teacher about how mm-hmm. Lyle chose to express this. Mm-hmm. So much so that I almost didn't read it because I didn't want to cause Lyle any stress. Okay. But I'm going to read it anyway. And this is about the church choir coincidence. Uh, when we said one in a million, he said, did you guys calculate that yourself? I'm guessing you repeated it from something else. Uh, because unless I'm missing something, one out of one million is crazy wrong using the assumptions you stated for two reasons. Here we go. If there are 15 members and each had a one quarter chance of being late, Uh, The probabilities were equal and independent, so it was like rolling 15 four-sided dice. Uh, That would be roughly a one in a billion chance. And uh, number two, point two, uh, even the calculation in one completely fails to capture what you seem to want to express. The chance of something like this happening, i.e. the simultaneous choir lateness coinciding with the explosion, that would be trickier to work out. The simplest way to calculate it would be to decide on the chance of a 1950 Nebraska church blowing up on a given night and multiply that 
by the one in a billion chance above. So basically, it sounds like we did half of the equation mm. and didn't even do that half right. No, that sounds like us. Uh, so he says, you know, did churches blow off and blow up often in 1950 Nebraska? Uh, but see, you could also say a building blowing up, sure, or a building uh, killing somebody. Like I don't know where you draw the line because I'm not a math person or how you would qual- quantify that. I would think you'd need to go with churches just to compare apples to apples, and then also, you know. Not every building is going to invite people into it at 7 p.m. on a like See, Wednesday yeah. night or something. So Good point. A lot of factors. Uh, and then Lyle actually goes on to, to say, it's easy to get overly dazzled doing calculations like these. And I think that's what we are now is overly dazzled. I'm dazzled. Uh, the more specifically you describe any event or collection of events, the more astronomically unlikely it becomes, uh, i.e. the chance of my spaghetti being in this exact configuration are mind-bogglingly low. Uh, it's a pretty amazing story still, and that is from Lyle. That is classic Lyle, always slipping a spaghetti <laughs> reference into his emails, you know? Yeah, that is interesting to think about, though. Like, t- depending on how far you want to drill down, you can, you know, it gets a little nutty. Totally. But I like his calculations even better than ours. One in a million chance, kind of dazzling. One in a billion chance, and that's just step one. That's, yeah. I got stars in my eyes, basically. Wowie, wow. Well, thanks a lot, Lyle. I'm sorry for driving you a little bit crazy. Uh, we are glad that you could take the time to explain to us um, what we got wrong and not call us stupid in the in the bargain. Thank you. Uh, if you want to be like Lyle and get in touch with us, you can send us an email to stuffpodcast at iheartradio.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Are you thirsty? Well, Richard's rainwater is caught clean before it even hits the ground. Rain is naturally pure, so there's no need for harsh chemicals or additives. Richard's rainwater contains no chlorine, no forever chemicals, no microplastics, no nothing. Enjoy the smooth, clean taste of still rainwater or the cold pressured bubbles of sparkling rainwater. Just visit richardsrainwater.com to find a retailer near you. That's richardsrainwater.com. And for a coupon, text STUFF to 251-292-8887 and receive $2 off a 12-pack case of Richard's Rainwater. Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air, and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action, and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network. 
Today's episode is brought to you by Altoids because, let's face it, unraveling the mysteries of the universe is tough work. But with Altoids, your breath will be stronger than a black hole's gravitational pull, more intense than an alien abduction, and more reliable than your phone's battery during a podcast marathon. When it comes to needing intense freshness, Altoids have you covered. Altoids are stronger than your favorite conspiracy theory, more intense than the latest true crime docuseries, and more reliable than a Bigfoot sighting. They're not just mints, they're curiously strong mints. Find Altoids in the checkout aisle. Grab your tin today. 